So hello everybody, uh, welcome to the serious seminar, uh, the second in this, third in this uh, semester. So today we have uh, Professor Jean Camp from Indiana University Bloomington. Uh, she's a very well-known researcher in the usable security and uh, security economics field who has done uh, tremendous work in all this field. Uh, before uh, working at, uh, at Indiana, she was, she was working at, uh, she was, she spent like around eight years at Harvard where she was also uh, working in the similar topics and also at mm -hmm. Carnegie Mellon before that and so she spent one year in uh, Sandia. So quite a, 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 a elaborate career all throughout in different interesting places. So today she's going to talk about the changing economics in networks, where she, we're going to see some interesting interplay between the economics, networks, and security. So. Thank you. How many have you heard that security is not a level playing field? That you have to change the game in security? So you've never heard that, the idea that a defender has to patch every vulnerability and an attacker only has to get one vulnerability. So the idea that in security we have an unfair game, that you, your defenders are, are always playing, as it, were, as it were, into the wind. So changing the game in economics of, in security has been a goal of the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense for quite a long time. So I want to talk to you about how we use economics to change the entire game and to make it possible for defenders to win. And that is why we care about economics of security. So I am going to talk to you about economics and then BGP as a, an economic phenomenon. I don't think many of you have ever thought about route updates as economic information, right? But they really are. And then changing the economics of BJ, BGP and why BGPSEC doesn't work. So I'm going to assume a fairly varied level of uh, network security networking, security, and economics. So some of this you will already know, and some of it will be entirely new. So the thing about economics, and I'm going to talk to you about markets, and because if we want to change the game using economics, we have to understand markets. And some of these have some pretty significant assumptions. Well. You have some pretty significant assumptions too, right? You talk about ones and zeros and step functions instead of 0.9 and 0.02 and uh, exponential response curves. So for the market to work, you have to understand the assumptions of, of the basic economics. This is just micro 101. But everybody has assumptions, right? I mean, if you're the engineers in the room, how would you calculate the volume of a cat? Well, the engineer might put the cat underwater, but only for a second and not enough to hurt the cat. But if the cat's a fluffy cat, that would not give you very accurate information, right? Because you're reducing the volume of the cat. The mathematician would do the most exact response, but that would be intractable. I mean, you just couldn't get the cat to stand still. And the physicist might assume a spherical cat. 
So I admit there's a certain amount of assuming a spherical cat in economics, not in the technical solution where we change BGP, but in the idea of economics of security. Now, if you have a market that actually works, you have to have three things about the thing you're buying and selling. So one of those things is goods have to be rivalrous. That is, if I use it, you can't use it. They have to be excludable. That means I can prevent you from having it, like this um, clicker. And it has to be transparent, which means that you have full information. So um, there was a very popular Android uh, security app that secured your Android. And I, I think its name was Veritas. Does anybody remember this? It had five stars, super popular. Google took it off the market because all it did was nothing. It just made you feel good. Yay, I have security on my Android. I'm so happy. So we have problems with all three of these in economics, in security. So transparent also means low search cost and ability to examine and predict. When you go buy a car, you have some idea of how much you're going to drive. Right? When you buy a house, you have a pretty good idea of who's going to live there. Right? But security and privacy are goods that you only experience when they fail. And this is a problem with security. How do you know your security works? Nothing happened, right? This is a very unusual good. How do you know you liked dinner? It didn't, it didn't show up? Wait, no, that's not how normal goods work. So security is problematic in terms of the market. And without, without information, the market can't even um, work. So this is one of my favorite tweets from Matt Blaze. Uh, snake oil is the secret ingredient that makes one-time pad thai so delicious. Mmm. So now we have artificial intelligence. I mean, I did, you know, I published in it. We did a deep neural networks paper to detect rogue certificates, and we had excellent response curves. What's in the middle layer in a deep neural network algorithm? We don't know, right? I mean, if you're using something standard like um, random forest, you can see the weights, but you're mostly buying antivirus technologies that are not only difficult to observe if, if where they work and fail, but even the creators cannot tell you what's in them. So you can see that there's some transparent markets. Spam house is completely transparent. Open code is completely transparent, but that did not stop GoToFail, did it? Does everybody know what GoToFail is? Oh, okay. Is everybody like awake? Because I asked, is this, that was a yes or no question or a yes or no, depending on like, I expected a lot more head bobbling when I said that. So that was Apple had a, they repeated the line GoToFail twice which meant that if the, uh, the link between the key and the identity were not validated, uh, it was accepted anyway, basically. So the, the, you know, so long as you had, had a valid public key, it didn't matter who you claimed to be. Like, oh, I have a key, and it says, I'm Steve. Don't be confused. It's really, I'm really me. So uh, no, what about the test suites we use for AV? 
What about the test suites we use for malware? How do you know when, why an app is taken off of uh, the, the stores for Apple or Google? We don't have a lot of transparency. So that's a problem in the market. Another market is exclusion. Exclusion is when you hear people say property is a natural right when you're arguing. When you are you know, uh, arguing with libertarians on the internet, they'll be like, property is a state of nature. This is what they mean. They mean that exclusion is possible, that um, I can lock my door. So do not trespass is the essential nature of exclusion, right? But it can create, this lack of exclusion creates distorted markets, like uh, radio broadcast are supported by ads. We're so used to ad-supported radio that we don't even think about paying for something in attention span <coughs> instead of money. But that is not your standard market. Rivalry just means if you use it, I can't. If, and I use it, you can't. This is my bottle of water. It is excludable because I can hold on to it. It is rivalrous because once I drink it, you cannot drink it. Okay, so that's the difference. Uh, it's in, either in, con in consumption or non-divisibility. Like you can open a bottle of water and pour it into multiple cups. So you can make something that is not, that is uh, rivalrous, less rivalrous. So if you think of Uber as time sharing, they took cars, car ownership. Right, which was rivalrous. If I own my car, you cannot use my car. I mean, this is not an example. I'm not letting you use my car. I like my car. No offense. Um, but they took something that was rivalrous and made it less so by making it divisible. Okay. So the cool things about we can go through that. So the things that we see: high fixed cost, zero marginal cost. Once you write software, how much does that second copy of software cost? Right. So railroad tickets, large, uh, uh, by, I meant nuclear electrical plants, like Catawba Electrical Plant, which is a, a Duke plant. So I don't know. Maybe they wheel some of that energy out here. Uh, railroad tickets, airplane tickets, they use price discrimination. That's how you... That's how you price it. Routing announcements. How are you going to make routing announcements excludable or rivalrous? Right? Because you can't get people to invest in something if it's not excludable or rivalrous. It causes things. It can limit economic power. Walmart sells one out of every seven toothbrushes in America. But you know, they still have to pay for that next toothbrush. They don't reach a point at which their next toothbrush is free. So that creates competition. It creates incentives to invest, and it creates a return to investors. And all those things are awesome. In contrast, there's a thing called public goods. How many of you guys have heard of the concept of public goods? Yay. OK. So they're not excludable, and they're not rivalrous. So. Calculus. When you learned calculus, did somebody else have to forget it? <coughs> right? It didn't work that way. Open source, you can you give it away freely. Is software, what is software? Is it a good? Well, 
you know, it's it's a you can you can still buy a DVD. Is when you bought when did you buy Halo when it came out, right? Did you pay for? Um, is it a service? Is it infrastructure? So all of these things matter. And if you can make something that is infrastructure into a good, then you can get more investment in the private sector. If you make something that was a good into infrastructure, then you can get a lot of complementary growth, right? So the difference between a closed and open network. All right, so there's different types of goods. There's club goods, which are excludable and non-rivalrous. That is, um, I can let you in the gym. You can have a gym membership. And it's not really rivalrous until it gets too crowded. Okay? There are public goods, which are normal goods. And, I mean, which are, you know, national defense is the canonical public good. A lighthouse is a canonical public good. You can't put up a lighthouse and everybody but you can use this lighthouse. But when your boat's out there, mm, not you, dude. Sorry. You're just going to have to sail with hope. It just doesn't work that way. You can't, national defense is another canonical public good. I can't say, we're going to invest in defense. Um, you know, America will be safe, except your house. Sorry about that, just like your house. You can't exclude people from these things. And it's not rivalrous. It's not like, oh, well, I'm consuming more photons from the lighthouse than you are. It doesn't work like that. So these are our classical types of goods, non-excludable fisheries are an example because it's rivalrous, because if I catch the fish, guess what? You don't catch the fish. But it's very hard to exclude someone from the ocean, right? I mean, maybe <coughs> you could. So what does that matter in economics? Well, there's a booming firewalls market. In fact, the next generation firewalls market is supposed to, is the subject of a, like a gardener report every quarter because they're so excited at how much money you can make in firewalls, right? Firewalls, I buy the firewall, it, the value is excludable by definition. You do not get value from my firewall. I can, ref, you know, you're not using my firewall. Email, you can add people to email, you can copy email around. Anybody, everybody, as we have seen in the last six months, can read the same person's email once it is shared. Um, Non-excludable, I can use an IP address. Let's, you know, this is a generalization, assuming no natting. But I can announce, let's say, if I announce a slash 24, that's it. You can't announce it, right? So it's rivalrous, but I cannot stop you from announcing it either. And the ability, the fact that I cannot stop you from announcing IP addresses is at the core of this talk. And BGP updates and security are public goods. Okay, so we can change this by design. We can move phishing detection and incident data into excludable rivalrous goods by having timing Right? It's, you can't exclude somebody from knowledge of a phishing site, but I can, I can get to it faster. And I can have a more complete set. So I can create a good that is rivalrous. I can make incident data private. I can protect the data so, or share it. So the tragedy of the commons is when there's no clear resource, people over-exploit it.
right? National defense, clean air, clean water. We, uh, we massively over, overproduce carbon at terrible levels, and we have no routing security. People have not invested. So I'm going to talk about this for, ooh, I have like another half an hour, right? I'm going to talk about another example for two minutes on the basis that we're all in education, right? We all understand education. Then I'm going to talk about BGP, hijacking, and how we have turned it into a different kind of good, okay? All right. So education is a public good. You're getting an education. You might start a business. You're going to pay more taxes. You're less likely to be in jail. These are all things that any person gets from an education. You cannot exclude me from that benefit. We're all in the same economy. If you're paying more taxes, if you're employing people, it's all good. This is a shared good. So public investment is necessary. Education is a multi-generational club good. That is why we like alumni. Hmm? Alumni give scholarships, they give money, universities. There is an issue of oversubscription, which includes congestion in the class. How many of you have been unable to get into a class? Yeah, so it's not that, in that way, it's not a public good because you are excluded and it's intertemporal. Education is a private good. It is a labor market signal. You will pay more taxes because you will make a lot more money. And you are not going to give me or anybody else any of that money. It's your money. You earned it. It's yours. Congratulations in advance. Okay. So how you think about something matters. So in IU, in 1980, you had to work at minimum wage four weeks to pay for your tuition. So four weeks of full-time labor. You hear this. In 2000, you had to, to work you know, eight, eight weeks, right? You had to work more. Um, and now you have to work like 35 weeks to pay tuition at minimum wage. And that means like you couldn't live indoors. Maybe you could buy a car, live in a car. But these are three models of goods. In 1980, education was a public good. By 2000, it was considered a club good, and now it's considered a private good that you've purchased. How many of you heard that you're consumers of education, that the student is the consumer? This is the model of good, as opposed to um, you know, a student being a scholar. So it matters how we think about things. And, in, and the goal of that was to explain the kind of goods they are and sh to show you that it matters in your life how we consider different kinds of goods. So what does this have to do with routing? Ready for that part, the routing part? It is, how many, BGP, how many people are familiar with BGP? Okay, so it's interesting. I get about the same number of yeses for every question, but they come from different parts of the room. So it's used by ISPs to exchange network connectivity. It was released in 1995. In 1995, only governments and educational institutions were allowed on the internet. And commerce on the internet was prohibited by law because it would have been basically stealing government resources. 
In fact, in 1995, in most countries, the Internet was not even legal. In Ireland, the, um, PT, the, the public, the postal telephone and telegraph, everything was owned by the government, right? So the postal service, the telephone service. So if you connected a modem to the uh, telephone company, you were committing treason, right? So this was when BGP was designed. And um, every BGP participant is given an autonomous system number, and each autonomous system advertises networks it can ask, answer. It is an amazing piece of engineering. It has proven hugely resilient. On, let me see, September 11th, 2001, the Internet was back online in two minutes. The major, there were floors of the World Trade Center that were routing, that were just routing centers. There were people running across rooms with bundles of fiber, and it was back up and fully connected within two minutes. The telephone network stayed congestion, stayed congested for almost a day is inaccessible for a day. The next day people were getting voicemails. So, but it's not authenticated and there's no integrity check. What does that mean? Well, that means there can be data exfiltration. Here is my high-level overview of what a BGP hijack does. Take these codes to the president. Okay, but I'm going to stop at Dr. Evil's headquarters on the way. There's no way to stop that now. If Dr. Evil wants to hijack your BGP you hijack your traffic so that all your traffic goes through Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil can probably do that. She is really evil. Okay, so hijacks, why do people do hijack? Well, it's linked to spam, right? The people hijack sections of IP address and use it to spam because they're spammers, so their IP address is blacklisted. Right? So these are short IP, and these are papers that have shown this. Um, deep packet inspection has been linked to political unrest, so, and malware has been linked to both deep packet inspection, in, to hijacks and um, failures. So I want to give you some examples of hijacks. Why do, you know, so one of the things, that, the first question an engineer asks about hijacks is why would you hijack a perfectly good system? Right? Why would anybody go after BGP? You know, it's like going after sunshines and national parks. So, in Bitcoin, everybody knows what Bitcoin is, right? Yay, I got full nons. Um, you know, the miners, because it's based on hash values, you don't want to be trying to generate a Bitcoin uh, by yourself. You want to be part of a large pool and share results, because that's the way probability works, right? So one person cannot be an effective Bitcoin miner. What they have is mining pools. And pools run, ironically, through a centralized server, right? So what happened in Bitcoin heist is that uh, this is this ASN66, that's uh, Amazon Cloud. So they had an Amazon Cloud collaborative server space, and what happened was when one of the miners uh, found a hash collision so that they could extend the ledger, extend the chain, and get the money, they report it to the CNC server, right? So here we are. 
we all know which place to go to to report our, our results. Unless uh, somebody in Canada lies about where Amazon is. So they had a 15-minute burst where just everybody who tried to connect to the Amazon cloud server that was the Bitcoin mining pool, right, went to Canada Telecom instead. Now, BGP path policies could have presented, prevented the heist, but it's very hard to get BGP path policies. They, and even if just one miner had noticed, they could have worn the whole pool. But because they're a bunch of, you know, they're, they're, this is what they do. They calculate hash values on their computing. They don't mostly know what BGP is. Many of them are, are speculators, effectively. And they did not notice. Uh, the, the police noticed. So Denver to Denver, this is an example of, an, of another hijack. So connection between two ISPs in Denver was routed through Iceland. Because I know when I want to go across town in Denver, I take an international flight to Reykjavik every time. No wait. It makes no sense. But it was undetected for, for um, months. So attack was, it only poisoned some part of the internet. Like even if you had a very good view of the internet from say Washington DC, it would not have been visible to you. So there was a similar attack that took Mexico to data to DC via Belarus. So all US Mexican diplomatic traffic went through Belarus. Again, these were long-term. So why Denver? What's near Denver? And these are organizations that were hijacked and did not notice for a significant time period. This is not easy to automatically detect, right? So Cheyenne Mountain, do you guys know what Cheyenne Mountain is? Is that there's a war games. Anybody ever watch war games? No? Okay, well, it was in the, nah, it's an okay movie. Yeah, watch it. You know, it's probably on Netflix. The um, NSA sig Signal Intelligence, NORAD, U.S. NORTHCOM, the Air Force Academy, Buckley, and Peterson Air Force bases. So there is, um, there was, it was not visible from most vantage points, right? Because once you send your traffic on the network, it just goes wherever it goes to on the network. Like if, if Dr. Evil wants it to come past her lab, it will come past her lab. So here's a picture, because I think this is particularly impressive. So 1 and 12 are Denver, Colorado. It was undetected because the path went all the way around. It's not like when um, that second tier, tier 2 ISP accidentally took Australia off the internet for for like 12 hours because the traffic just died or when that poor woman in um, southern Russia was out looking for scavenging for metal and dug up a huge copper length and it turns out oh that was how the southern Ukraine uh, connected to the internet right so this is quite an impressive hijack, and it went on for a considerable amount of time. 
So how are hijacks performed? Um, it just leverages BGP. It looks identical to recovery. Like, how does BGP recover from an anomaly? So if the best way to get from me to you is to go one, two, three, four hops, and then you leave, there's something called, you know, a, a little routing storm, and it might temporarily go, oh, here, 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 but then it will settle to here, 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 right? So, I mean, it's, it's indistinguishable from, from recovery, and it's indistinguishable from mistakes. People make mistakes all the time in network engineering. And, what it, do, and it takes a global context or global investment for security. Oh, man. I can't believe I misspelled security. Um, but defenders only have local context. All I can see is that it's going to you. I don't know which path it is taking after this, really. So how do you do um, a BGP route? You say, all right, here, let's say AS4 wants to go to AS1, and AS3 and AS1 are connected. Oh, no. There was a, somebody pick a disaster. Give me a disaster, any disaster. Tornado. There was a tornado, very appropriate. Very regionally appropriate. There's a tornado, and it's not, and it's not connected anymore. So what do we do? We, um, we go through AS2, right? Look, suppose there's not a tornado, and AS2 just totally wants to hijack your traffic. It looks the same way. The very resilience that has made a protocol designed in 1995, the core infrastructure, makes hijacking easy. Yes? Was the link to Insulik all, I'm sorry, to... Um, Denver to Denver down? No, to, to Iceland. Was it all fiber? I mean, could they have pinged it and dis discerned that there was a longer lag time than there should have been? They could have looked at time to live. So detecting BGP hijacks, there are three approaches. There's a control plane approach, which is what we are looking at, um, but our solution doesn't depend on it. There is a data plane approach, which is the control plane approach looks at path length and um, path jitter. Like, okay, this path has been stable forever, so I'm sorry, I keep kicking you out of the room, don't take it personally. And so you leave, but suddenly in instead of going one, two, three, four, five, six, it goes one, two, three, four, five, six. So that's a, a distance. So the, so the information theoretic distance between two paths. And then there's a data plane approach where you look at uh, delays and time to live, and then there are approaches that combine the two of those. We looked at these, this result looked at uh, jurisdiction because it's research and nobody's looked at jurisdiction before, but we found that by combining uh, jurisdiction and path topology, so control plane and uh, geographical information, we have a pretty, we, I feel that we have good results, but they haven't been published yet because we haven't finished writing those up, so I can't confirm that my peers also believe we have good results.
So again, we see the same thing. We have hijacking. So AST, AS2 sends out a slash 28. So slash, and then they're targeting some subset of AS4. So slash 28 is added to the route table because it's more specific. And then it, it's exactly a hijack. So it's a growing problem. Or is it all criminals? Is it about making money? Is it a bunch of incompetents who just literally cannot route their way out of a subnetwork? Or are, is it all spies? So it's, it, it, there was an argument for a while that it was not increasing because Argus has publicly available data on route hijacks based on data and control planes. But if you look at that data, it turns out if you just take some months out, it's not really decreasing. It is increasing. So this is the timestamp of their data. So I, I, I argue that it is increasing, um, although there's not a lot of information. And is it political or criminal? Well, um, these are uh, hijacked hotspots from our analysis. So how many of you have ever seen a map of the fiber infrastructure of the world. Okay, yeah, do you see this, right? So first of all, this is Djibouti, and it is very close there. So all of this traffic goes either through Turkey or through Africa. And if it goes through Africa, it goes to the US here. There's a, a cable from the Ivory Coast and Liberia. So there's a lot of cables from Liberia and the Ivory Coast. Djibouti is a, a major center for telecommunications. There's an IXP there because of geography. And like these two, Comoro, they just have lousy data. Let's be honest. And some World Bank data, when you look at smaller nations, it's just all over the map. It, it just, I mean, you want to say that World Bank data provides um, consistent biases or consistent errors, but when you start getting to small um, small countries that are not very economically stable, those numbers are just like very unreliable. So there are two things you can see here. You can see it, you can see the the fiber networks across the world. And you can see two places where I don't believe the world data, World Bank data. So uh, we saw a lot of information if you're used to clustering. I think we all see two clusters there in this snowman. There's this cluster and this cluster. So we found evidence um, for crime, which is the big cluster. And we found evidence for um, in, uh, intelligence activity. All these countries are engaged in uh, war warfare or active violent civil dispute. Not like people marching in pink hats, but like people shooting at each other in the, in, uh, bombers in aircraft involved, so. Question? Yes. So what does the uh, uh, full dot, uh, empty dot, and a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, an empty dot means few anomalies. So this is the this is the hot spot that we thought was weird. This is a world governance indicator, which is a rule of law, and this is secure internet servers. 
So yes, there are places that literally report we have a dozen secure internet servers and we are very proud. So, all right. So hijacking, remember, uh, sends false connectivity information and a route leak is an unintentional misconfiguration that causes a BGP participant to send incorrect and connectivity information. They both can have the same result. There's a moniker for this. Has anybody heard this? Fat fingers, like, which is completely stupid because the human hand is the same size as it always was. Like if you look at Michelangelo, you know, on the Sistine Camp, it's the same hand if you look at the keyboard. Like people just have not changed that much. So it's actually bad usability design. You know, fingers should still work. So there are some proposed solutions to this. One is we can have a resource public key infrastructure which validates the origin, or we can have BGPSEC which provides full path validation. So um, it's a cryptographic association between network and origin. It only prevents certain classes of BGP attacks. Bitcoin would not have worked. So it makes sense for Amazon to adopt this, right? But it doesn't make sense for most places to adopt this. Do you have a, like a local little telephone? We have like Smithfield telephony in Bloomington. Do you have something like that? Like a, a third telephone? Okay. So it doesn't make sense for like Comcast to adopt this. It would cost them a huge amount of money. Who would it benefit? Maybe other people, but not Comcast. And Denver would uh, still have worked because it turns out, and this is shocking to many cryptographers, and I've got to say I love cryptographers. Many cryptographers are a friend of mine. Um, an untrustworthy autonomous system with a certificate is still untrustworthy. Just like an untrustworthy website with a public key certificate is still untrustworthy. So BGPSEC offers full path validation and identifies trusted connections between each AS, which means that everybody has to adopt it. It is very expensive and it requires updating the entire public infrastructure. So let's think about the coordination cost of that. If all I wanted, all I wanted right now in the world was for every one of you to shift one seat to the left, I have 20 minutes left. It would take the whole 20 minutes to get everybody to shift one seat to the left. And that's not even infrastructure. That's a tiny coordination problem. This is an immense coordination problem. Okay? This is a coordination problem of at least hundreds of billions of dollars. So, and the first person that adopts BGPSEC gets nothing because nobody else has adopted it. I, I, you know, so it's like saying, you know, picking one of you and say, all right, so I really want everybody to stand on one foot. So I'm going to ask you to stand on one foot for the next 20 minutes to see if we can get other people to stand on one foot. Because if we all took turns standing on one foot during all our talks, we'd have better balance. Right? And everybody wants better balance, right? How likely is that going to happen in this talk? It will not happen. So one of the ways we did it is we looked at um, ASN jurisdiction. Uh, we looked at their, uh, looked at their, where they're from, right? 
basically. Traffic starting and ending within a jurisdiction normally does not have a path that leaves that jurisdiction. What are cases where this would have identified problems? Well, there was the Ukrainian grid controllers, right? Did you read about the Ukrainian power grid being taken down? Yeah, that is a, sometimes evil can be really beautiful because it's just so well done. That the Ukrainian hack was um, a long-term attack by uh, attackers who were based in Russia that brought down the power grid in eastern, um, in eastern Ukraine. And they locked the operators out of their own power grid. So, but if you did jurisdictional analysis, the attackers were in Russia. Um, and the democratic email servers, right, that attack was from, actually, it was, they didn't even bother with AES, right? They just used a .ru attack. Okay. So, each ASN belongs to an organization, most of which are ISPs, some of which are um, con content delivery networks. And they're all subject to the laws, and there are real, real differences in those. So... How, oh, I'm going to skip this. Um, so one of the things people do now is they may have well-known IP addresses that they block. There are big parts of the internet that block the Nigerian IP space because it is very hard to prevent social engineering fraud. And there's a 419 advanced fee fraud, you know, um, that is, that was in Nigeria the second largest source of foreign currency, second only to oil, higher than agriculture, right? So one way you can just say is we're just going to block this IP space. Um, but if you just block IP space, you lose availability. Indiana University is not going to block Nigerian East IP space. I mean, there are potential students there. There may be alumni there. I mean, I, you know, we're just not going to do it. And it also, it, you know, it, you just lose availability. You, you change network availability. You lose network availability for confidentiality. So suppose we said, we're not going to just pick places and block them, because that's, that's problematic. But we are going to look for changes in country and then block when that happens. So what we did is we took the 50 largest banks and we looked at what would happen if we changed their jurisdiction. So this is the system we built. This is what Bongo does. You know, Quagga is a router, and Quagga is also a member of the antelope family, and it was named Quagga because before it, there was something named zebra. So we named ours Bongo because bongos, all bongos have horns, right? So they, were the, they are the antelope where all of them have horns. Like, even little bongos have horns as soon as they're born. They're like... Um, so... Take these launch codes to the president. Sure, but I'm going to stop at Dr. Evil's headquarters on the way. Our, our, our code, our system, 
Bongo allows you to say, never mind, we'll just hold on to these information until, you know, you take Dr. Evil's lab out of the loop, okay? That's what we're, that is what we've done. And the code is available as open code online called Bongo. <coughs> so you can actually have any arbitrary route acceptance criteria. Right now, we have it built with jurisdiction, which is pretty innovative, if I say so myself. Um, we're looking at peer analysis. We're looking at um, path information. You can also do peer reputation. So one of the things is, if you want to talk about the BGP incidents that occur because of incompetence, that is concentrated in a fairly small number of ISPs. There is a distribution of competence across autonomous systems, as I'm sure you are not shocked to find out, right? So like everything else. So we have a system, Bongo, that takes uh, information and we, and the data I'm telling you about now is jurisdictional data. We also have path analyses data. And it can fling three things, right? It can uh, offer open flow rules, right? Which is nice because SDN still is on top of BGP. And for all the excitement about SDN, I do not believe in a SDN future. I believe in a hybrid future, right? In fact, I don't have to believe in a hybrid future. There already is with data networks. Um, it can uh, refuse to change in individual route information, which you can do now, but you don't control it over the network. Or it can fling out access control. It can change your access control list. It can fling out firewall rules. So that what happens when you see something suspicious is going by Dr. Evil's labs, you can just say, mm, not right now. There's going to be a delay in transmission until the route appears to normalize. Now there is a, because you're looking at it from an individual vantage point, there is a route diffusion period where you are at risk, right? So your routing table, is at the moment you get up and head out of the room, his routing table is still going to point to you, right? So before it points, before it shifts, there'll still be a risk. So what we did is we looked at 50 financial, uh, the 50 largest financial services, because we thought if you're a criminal, what do they say? Why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. If I wanted to rob banks, I would do it this way. There is no way I would go into a bank. I'm, I'm not robbing any banks, but were I to engage in such activity, which I will not ever in my life, this would be the way to do it. So uh, one of them dropped off the internet completely.